Here's a question. How long can you hold your breath? On today's show, we have a man who has held his breath for 22 minutes. Yes, 22 minutes. Meet Dr. Stig Severinsen, the man who does not breathe. I'm Dustin Planholt, founder and CEO of Life's Tough Media. This season of Life's Tough, but Explorers Are Tougher is made possible through the generous support of Ripple. We hope you enjoy the series. This is Life's Tough, but Explorers Are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore. It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Greetings to you wherever you are in the world. I'm going to start today with a question, maybe a little on the personal side. How long can you hold your breath? Think about it. A minute or two. Our guest today, Dr. Stig Severinsen, has held his breath under special conditions for over 20 minutes and is the holder of numerous world records. Welcome to Life's Tough, Stig. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, Stig, you're in the news lately for yet another world record. Which one's this? Uh, yes, that was my latest Guinness World Record. I call it the 2020 dive to make it easy to remember. So I dove 202.0 meters, uh, equaling 2020 in La Paz, beautiful La Paz, Mexico, uh, just before the just before Christmas. So just before the end of 2020, with this crazy COVID year, I thought it was better to end on a positive note. So. That's why when I do a record, I like to make it kind of like a metaphor of something and, and give hope and hopefully some inspiration to people. So uh, it was the longest dive in open water uh, ever performed uh, by a human being, at least. So uh, <laughs> uh, that was horizontal, right? So you went. Yeah, yeah. A, lo a long distance dive, basically. You go out, you put your little flippers on. I have this kind of dolphin look looking like tail. And uh, of course, it was a lot of, you know, Guinness World Record, you know, you have to measure and do this and have boats and safety divers, a lot of logistics. 
but but basically it's a very simple record to understand you just pop in from one boat and you swim these 200 feet it's about 600 660 feet or something so 200 meters and then you come up again hopefully fresh and that's it you know on a, on a single breath of air obviously it's it's called free diving so you know most people if you've ever swam in a pool and and you and I have spoken about this before the pool that my kids go to is 25 uh, meters and yes. I swim from one side to the other and then just pop up and then gasping for breath. And that seems really far. And I think I can hold my breath for a minute or two. How is it that it's possible for somebody to hold their breath 10 minutes, 11 minutes, something like that? That just seems um, not human. Uh, well, I think it's not even that difficult to understand, to be honest. If you think of people that lift heavy weights or run really fast, um, you know, it's all about uh, developing your skills. So I'm very fascinated by breathing, and that's what I'm teaching to the world to make everybody optimize their breathing. And, you know, those 20, 30,000 breaths you take every day, why not make the most out of it? I would say people breathe about 70 to 80% of the max capacity. A lot of people do mouth breathing, chest breathing. So, you know, racing the heart rate, getting stressed, adrenaline. Um, but in breath hold diving, you you kind of uh, investigate the other side of breathing, which is so fascinating. If, if people are a little bit into yoga, maybe they've heard about uh, pranayama. So pranayama is the fourth discipline of the fourth limb of yoga. And that deals specifically with breath holding and, and breathing techniques but but also the breath holding part that is so overlooked in in our modern day and age so i'm fascinated by that i've been fascinated by breath holding it's also called skin diving or like i said before free diving because you're truly free in the water you just have your single breath of air in your lungs no equipment really um and then then you you're truly you know at one with nature and yourself and hopefully also some beautiful animals uh, whale sharks or sea lions or sharks or rays or whatever, you know, sea turtles. Um, and what I'm really fascinated about is also translating all the things we can do with our body. So I call it relax on demand. So relaxing your body and your mind at the same time and awakening something that I call the inner dolphin. Uh, we all have a diving response or a dive reflex. In English, it's called the mammalian dive response. And we all have these, this MDR, mammalian dive response, and um, it gives us the ability to relax and to, to make good decisions, even under uh, strenuous um, situations, so in stressful situations. And I hope to translate my dives and my records and my training with breathology, this, this uh, platform and, and movement that I've developed over the last 10 years, I hope to make it practical so people understand that with breathing we can actually take a lot of control back into our lives regarding our health regarding our decision making becoming better parents uh, husbands and leaders uh, so it's not just for the military or sports people it's absolutely for everyone and i think when i do the breath hold diving it's it's kind of like a little metaphor or a little story you know i like storytelling to show what's possible and if you think of people that are really strong or or that can do other things, you know, that can do math really quickly in their in their head, you're like, that's impossible. But then after a while, you understand that once you've trained for 20, 40 years, you know, you start to master different disciplines. So I'm basically just teaching people relaxation. And from relaxation and optimized breathing, you have a lot of health benefits and a lot of, of mental benefits, so to speak. Um, 
So it's not really that unfathomable, you know, to hold your breath for 10 minutes. I would say every ordinary person can do it for four or five. And maybe you can talk about that a little bit because you're curious about breath holding. Um, so well, maybe then curious. The steps, the I, I, I am curious to that. I am curious yeah. to breath holding. But, you know, your journey starts in a pool, but not necessarily with breath holding. Right, you start uh, as a well, swimmer. I mean, my story, like like being born and being a Pisces and having done <laughs> swimming all my life. You know, I did competitive swimming since I was a child. I was on the talent team at the age of five. My mother took me to baby swimming. I grew up with a, a nice swimming pool in my backyard, and I would compete with my younger brother, tossing little plastic animals into the pool, and on a single breath of air, try to collect as many of these animals as possible. Later, we had a game in in in, uh, in swimming, which is a quite, I would say, um, demanding sport, which is great. I, I like dedication and and passion. So when you're a young child and train every day and do weightlifting and running and stuff like that at a young age, you also learn discipline, which I think is very very important and maybe also needed again <laughs> in this day and age. Um, but with swimming. Um, I learned that the more I could relax, the more I could hold my breath and swim underwater. Again, this horizontal, you know, like long distance swimming. And um, then you start to beat the older guys and you become very self-motivated because it's fun to beat guys that you wouldn't outcompete in swimming because they have more muscle and they're, you know, teenagers, maybe hormones and everything. So I learned from a young age that relaxation underwater just made me feel great. And then I could also strengthen the connection with animals because we would always travel to uh, the Mediterranean. I'm from Denmark, so a bit bit cold in the in the north. So we would travel to um, Spain or Italy or Yugoslavia, as it was called in in those days, or France or whatever. And I would spend uh, almost a month there, about three weeks. And the more I could hold my breath and relax, the more I could experience the underwater beauty of you know seeing an octopus or catching a fish or I even got my spear gun at some point and I felt like James Bond, you know, one of the proudest moments of my life. I had a little dive knife on my ankle, on my calf there. And so, uh, yeah, the, the more you become comfortable and relax, the, the more you can, you know, use your body and your mind to the fullest capacity. And that's kind of my mission with breathology and everything I do. Then I got into biology and I did my PhD in medicine, all these studies of how the body's working, but I always come back to relaxation. And I think that's maybe the most overlooked thing if we can call it a thing the most overlooked topic uh, of our modern life is is relaxation we all know how to stress but not very many people are good at relaxing and relaxation by the way is not the same as being lazy just to make that point it's, it's something you have to train and you can enter it and everybody has the ability to naturally relax and turn on the vagus nerve we can get into how we can do that if people want some practical advice but we're not trained in, in school or even at hospitals to do this um, so this is something that I'm very passionate about teaching people that they have this, this, uh, this switch they can flick and I call it relaxation on demand. So, you know, I just want to remind, um, our audience that you do have a website, it's breathology.com and it's breath and eology. It's sort of like if you took geology, took the G away and put breathe in front of it, then you have exactly. breathology. There's a free book on there. Stig, take yeah. us through the process. So I, I know that one of the tenets of good breathing on your part starts right from the nose and not the mouth. So so take me through why the nose and not the mouth. Yeah. 
I would think the most common mistake people do is that besides not being able to relax is that they breathe from the mouth. And maybe you can say on a, on a larger a scale, the greatest mistake you can do is not uh, being conscious about your breathing. So you're not putting any awareness into it. That is, I think, why meditation and especially mindfulness and mindfulness uh, breath meditation, vipassana, these kind of specialities in breathing have become so very popular over the last maybe 10 years, six, eight years especially, um, because people have a simple tool then with breathing and meditation to calm their mind and to start feeling great again and coming home to themselves. Um, and I think the biggest mistake is not realizing that you have breathing right under your nose. So people breathe, as I mentioned in the beginning, about 20 to 30,000 times each day. It's a heck of a lot of breathing, you know, in a lifetime, it's about a billion. If we breathe about 10 million breaths a, a, a year uh, times 100 years, that's actually 1 billion breaths. So if you don't optimize your breathing with every single breath, you're not really living fully. And that goes back again to the yogic philosophies of, of the gurus and the sadhus, the, the kind of yoga priests, uh, that, that you really have to put attention on every single breath because then you truly live to the fullest capacity. And it's very important we use the nose for different biological reasons. Let's just be very uh, simplistic about it. Not very spiritual. We can get into that in a part two on your great podcast here maybe. But... Uh, but part one for everyone to understand is that the nose is for breathing and the mouth is for eating. And I always tell people that. And it's true because the mouth is where you put your food and it's just a big hole. <gasps> and it's very uncontrolled. You get the air in. It's very dry. If people out there listening take a big breath like a really big bad one, <gasps> you know, you feel the tension in your chest. You feel the dryness in your throat and you realize immediately that you're losing you're losing uh, liquid also you're drying out in your throat and that needs to be replaced so and you, plus you're taking a big breath and blowing out you're losing a lot of liquid so humi humidity from your lungs so you're kind of dehydrating yourself um now if you use your nose it has many many wonderful benefits first of all the no the nostrils are smaller holes making it a more natural inhale because the holes are smaller. In other words, it takes longer for the air to come in. And now a lot of good things happen. First of all, most of us, especially men, have a lot of hair in the nose, right? So that takes away the dust, the mosquitoes, the leaves, different particles in the air, you know, like dust and, and other things that you don't want straight into your lungs. If you use your mouth, it's like a, a, a big pipe, you know, <gasps> everything runs straight into your lungs. That includes bacteria and viruses, speaking of COVID and and fungus and everything, you know, that goes through that main channel, you know, we could almost put a fist in. So if you use your nose, you already have a mechanical filter in the hairs and then inside the nose, which is the real nose, this is just the, the nose on, on us normal people, but inside we have the big nose, the inner nose, and the nose inside is as big as the mouth. So I don't know how much this podcast is gonna show me, but if people just imagine the mouth, ah, a big open mouth, some people can even put a fist in their mouth, right? But if they push the, put the fist on their forehead, there's a big hole inside a cavity the same size as your fist. And people might even not believe this, but it's true. And uh, inside of your nose, in front of your brain, you have the upper sinuses and the, the inner nose. And there you have some very intricate systems and, and some mucous membranes that, again, will take more bacteria and more stuff away from your inhaled air. It will humidify the air. It will also cool it or heat it 
depending on the circumstances. Now we are also proud members and you're president of the Explorers Club, this fabulous club. So we have people going to the extreme of the North Pole and the uh, Antarctica, but we also have people going maybe like I was yesterday hunt, hunting fossils uh, between Dubai and Fujairah. So in the United Arab Emirates, right, in the desert. So if it's very hot, it will cool down the air. If it's very cold, it will heat up the air. That's happening naturally inside of your nose. It's like a climate station. So those are just the kind of physical things. It's not even anatomical yet. It's just physical benefits. And then also about 12 or 13 years ago, three scientists were given the Nobel Prize for the discovery that when we breathe in with the nose and the air passes through the inner sinuses, we also put in a little gas molecule called nitrogen oxide, NO, or nitric oxide in American, but I think in, in English it's nitrogen oxide, NO. People can look it up online. And NO is a very poisonous gas in, in high concentrations, but when you breathe, and especially all the nose breathing, which they figured out in many different cultures thousands of years ago, NO has many capabilities. First of all, it's a vasodilator. It just means that it makes the muscles relax. So when you get the air into the bottom of your lungs, where you have the alveoli, that kind of little flower buds, little rose buds, I call them, and they're surrounded by the, uh, the capillary. So this thin, thin blood vessels. And that's where the air comes into your lungs and the oxygen has to jump into your bloodstream and the CO2, the kind of uh, waste product of, of the metabolic uh, production of energy, goes back into your lungs and then out into the plants and you have photosynthesis with the sun and we all live happily together in, in harmony with animals and plants. But when you have that nitrogen oxide going into your lungs, it opens the blood vessels. It, let, it lets the smooth muscles in every single little blood vessel open more because it relaxes. It, it's called a vasodilator. It just means relaxation for the muscles. But not only that, uh, nitrogen oxide also has other uh, properties such as it's antifungal it's antiviral and it's antibacterial. Now, I don't know why the hell they haven't told you that from the WHO or the health authorities about six months ago when COVID hit in March, but I'm preaching it like, like I was, you know, the church minister or something. But I don't know why nobody's talking about that. So those are things you can do yourself to stay healthy and strong and uh, to optimize your breathing completely free. So it's right under your nose. And then again, we can go into all the deeper aspects of how the air is coming into your lungs. If it's laminar flow or turbular flow and all kinds of stuff that's too much. But uh, in, in, um, in summary, when you breathe with your nose, you facilitate diaphragmatic breathing. It means in layman terms that when you breathe with your nose, you use the diaphragm as it's supposed to be used. You breathe deeper into your lungs where you have a larger amount of alveoli, these little flower bloods, kind of exchanging the gas with your lungs. So on the opposite side, when you're doing it wrongly, you're breathing from your mouth and in your chest. And we all know this breathing. This breathing is stress breathing. This is when we lose our um, mind or mind control. So when we're upset or angry or afraid or sad, you know, if, if it's a child, a child starts sobbing. <laughs> so it's in and out, in and out. There's no break in the breathing. And if we're angry, it's the same. It's the same as being sad. I told you, and I'm not going to repeat myself. So there's no pause in the breath. And we, we really breathe in a very, very uh, insufficient way. But also, if, if um, we're stressed in everyday life, maybe emotional or spiritual reasons, maybe we lost a loved one or we're losing our job or we're afraid of losing our job, then we also have this kind of panting. It's called hyperventilation, 
and that leads to headaches and migraines and tension in your neck and all kinds of bad things. And then you're in this negative spiral because your body feels that you're stressed physically, emotionally maybe, but physically you feel it. And then you start to produce adrenaline because you're in fight and flight. So you want to survive. And that is, that's just the start of this uh, downhill escalator into the darkness because then when you have more adrenaline and cortisol, these stress hormones, then your heart beats faster and your breathing becomes faster. And it's just, it's a negative spiral, but you can reverse it by not breathing maybe not for 20 minutes, but for a few minutes, 30 seconds, or by starting doing nose breathing. But Steve, That's when, why I'm so so passionate about teaching people this, because it's free. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the one thing that confuses me is if you ask somebody at a party, take a deep breath, and you ask them, even for a minute, you get this horrible feeling. I guess it's the carbon dioxide building up. And so even yeah. after a minute, it becomes uh, torturous. How do you get beyond that? How do you not have that feeling? Uh, well, two things. First of all, yes, uh, it's very correct what you're saying. It's CO2 that, that builds up because of the metabolism. So that is the waste product. And when you don't breathe, it doesn't come out, right? So that is the, that is the, the gas that actually signals and calls to the brain for breathing. So contrary to most doctors think it's because you have low oxygen, that's not true. A normal person has about four or five liters of blood. It's quite a lot. It's more than a gallon of blood. And there's a lot of oxygen in there because every hemoglobin has four oxygen molecules. So it's not because we're low on oxygen in one minute. You had to sprint to use all that oxygen, really sprint your, you know, like your life was in the end. Um, but it's CO2. But it's also because people are used to the exchange and having high levels of CO2. So some of the main training I do with the Navy SEALs, that's both with the, with the Navy SEALs in the US and in Denmark and other special operation units, the Royal Air Force I train. I train them a lot and also athletes, of course. I train them on hypercapnic training. It means high CO2 tolerance. And you can change and modify the chemical response in your body and in your nervous system and in your brain. And that is part of, of what I call relax on demand and also learn to become comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. It can save your life one day if you're a big wave surfer or you know, if you're a firefighter or something like that. Um, but, but it's mostly because people are not used to relaxation. It goes back to what I told you from the beginning. So if you cannot relax, you produce more uh, CO2 because you can't, you can't turn down the volume. You can't turn down the metabolic rate of your body. You can't really go into a state of hibernation or deep relaxation. In meditation, you would call it something like delta or gamma or you know maybe even alpha state, the flow state that we all know when time disappears and we're very engaged with someone. It can even be a conversation or planning a new expedition or something that you know maybe writing up some music or something that you're maybe drawing. Sports or arts usually is what gets you into flow. And it just means it's the zone where you feel most alive and you become what you do. That's how I define it. Um, so it's because people are not used to that. They're not taught how to enter those states that we all live in, but we don't know maybe how to enter them. So we have these magical states. We have these um, incredible states of being in our mind, but we've kind of, it was lost in translation from thousands of year old cultures, how to enter those more blissful states. Let's call them that. And that's where I think breathing especially has a, a renaissance because with meditation, it's difficult for some people and mindfulness is like, ah, what do I have to think about? And, you know, we're also stressed in our brain. And my, my metaphor is, you know, if you have a computer that's full, a hard disk that's full, 
you can't really cram anything more into it. So it doesn't matter how many great chips or megabytes of RAM you're putting into it. If it's full, it's full. So it's hard to control your mind with your mind. But controlling your mind with breathing is very easy. So stick just so, in the few um, minutes we have left here, if somebody, a layperson like myself, wanted to increase their um, ability to hold their breath, that relaxation thing, you're yeah. suggesting take the, the deep breaths through the nose. Is it out through the mouth? Out through the mouth is fine. You have both the lips and you have the tongue. So that's a very fine valve that you can control yourself and yourself and it's also like a peep flow or a CPAP you know in the hospital they give you a resistance to blow into even for COVID because it opens the lungs when you blow into something with the resistance it, it okay. opens because the gas has more pressure so you actually increase the positive pressure of oxygen in, in, in simple terms you push more oxygen into your bloodstream right, right you become so you more clever and make better decisions and stronger if you're rehabilitating from, from some disease so you bring so it into your stomach Right. You bring it into your nose and then it runs into your stomach. You can say it doesn't go into your stomach, but it goes into the bottom of your lungs and the stomach bulbs out. But it's not air in your stomach, just so we are very specific on that. But it feels like that. So if you put one hand in your belly and one hand in your chest, the chest should move until the end of the inhale. So it should be a natural wave and, and people can lie in their bed. They can sit in a chair. Uh Either or, but not walking. You shouldn't be standing up because then you use your abdominal muscles and your lower back to stay straight. So lying down is the best on your back because then you're completely relaxed. And the second best is sitting in your chair, like you, if you're at an office or if you're working, you can sit and do the practice in front of your computer. Eyes open, closed, does it matter? Eyes open. You can close if you're at home, but if you're at the office, maybe people are kind of looking at you or not. So just keep your eyes open, but keep your attention on the breathing and the sound and the, the smell or the, the movement of the air in your nose. And then when you breathe in through the nose to the upper nose that we talked about before, your brain realizes immediately, oh, finally he or she is breathing correctly. And, and it's like, oh, thank you so much. Why didn't we do this a long time ago? And then all the positive things happen. You start to create serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, the love cuddle hormone, and you start to boost your immune system and stay more healthy and strong. This is what I think is so overlooked in this discussion of how you can stay strong and healthy and resilient to stress and disease in, in general life. And that's not only old people or senior citizens, that's everyone. Okay, so now uh, I'm doing this. I, I start to feel that CO2 buildup. Am I going to blow some of that out? Am I going to hold it you still? Am I going to try to... Blow it out with a sound like this. It's called Perth breathing. Like uh, you're perching, you know, perch, a valve. So you do that for about, so I would say you breathe the normal breathing and I would encourage people to do it on four uh, steps. So you breathe in. Breathing should always have four phases. It's the most overlooked thing in breathing. People think it's two phases, in and out. But like I mentioned before, that's stress breathing, <gasps> either physically, emotionally, spiritually. So you breathe in with me now, everyone. And that takes about three or four seconds, something like that. Then you have a slight pause on top. And that's a very important pause because that's the turning point of the breathing. And then you exhale with your mouth, with your tongue or lips. And when you do that, you trigger the vagus nerve that lowers the heart rate. It's a parasympathetic part. It's what's called rest and digest. And then you have a slight pause again. So that's the third phase. And then the fourth phase is, of course, the, the inhalation again. So inhale again. Slight pause on the top, exhale, just downhill. Ah, it's also what a sigh is. And we relax the shoulder and the neck and the face. And then a little slight pause again, the fourth phase of the, of the exhale. 
So that's how you should do it. And if you do that for one, maybe maximum two minutes, you're more relaxed. Your heart rate goes down. People can just look on their pulse watch, this pulse meter. And uh, then you start from there with a positive attitude, put a little smile on your face, either inside or outside. Imagine some sunlight or something. If you're in a dark, rainy spot, you just remember the sunlight from the summer. And that wakes up a lot of stuff inside of your body and the cells start to vibrate at a high frequency. And that's kind of the magic of everything that you don't only have oxygen, but you also vibrate at a high frequency in life. Stig, we're, we're just about out of time. And I, I just got to ask you a question. So with your free diving, you know, people are sometimes fixated on records or even personal accomplishments. Is there a point in which you take this science or sport or record holding to where now you've so relaxed that you black out and poof, that's it. I mean, this, I know, I, I know a lot of free divers and yeah. I, most of them will tell you about blacking out underwater, which sounds like the most frightening thing that can happen to a person. Oh, it's not, it's deadly dangerous. So, I mean, it's a good thing you mentioned this because the first rule of diving, which also goes to free diving is never dive alone. That's the first rule of any scuba diving, snorkel diving, even swimming. Because if you drown underwater and you're alone, you die. But blacking out as it's called in free diving at blackout BO is not the end of the world. You know, it's just kind of like a knockout in boxing uh, and, and you wake up again, but not if you're alone in your pool. And that's unfortunately how many, especially young men, try to train and think they're so tough and they're tossing and immortal, but then they don't understand the warning signals. So people should be totally calm about this if they do it on dry land, meaning on, in their bed or on their, on their you know, couch or something, on their yoga mat, but never do it alone. If you want to learn more about freediving and hold your breath, then uh, you know, go and find a professional freediving coach. That's absolutely a must, not just some random lifeguard at a swimming pool who forgets to watch you after 10 minutes when the phone rings. So that's a very good point, Richard. Thank you for bringing that up. But people shouldn't be afraid per se in itself of blacking out. It's a very beautiful feeling. Uh, you're surrendering yourself. But of course, when you become a more professional freediver, high-end freediver, it's about knowing your limits and how much you can push the envelope before blacking out. So I don't recommend blacking out. And I don't think it's a, it's a great thing to do on camera because it means that you lose control. And I don't mean the mind control because I like giving in and forgetting my body and going to another dimension, but you need to have a little string, almost like a loon, lunar light, you know, like a little, little silky thread, a little, little connection with reality and come back when that last bell rings it's, it's hard to explain exactly what it is Stig, but, but I, ha I, ha people... I, I have to say to you when you say blacking out is a beautiful thing you are blacking it out feels, it, it feels beautifully because you're unconscious and you're kind of high on life and your your brain shuts down to protect it's like a macbook or whatever computer just you know going black the computer didn't die the the the, the data is still in the computer as soon as you plug it back in you know, to electricity, it wakes up immediately. You don't even have to put in the password. But but a blackout is just to protect your brain and the most oxy oxygen-sensitive organs. Also, the heart rate goes down very low. It's part of this mammalian dive response. It's a protective mechanism, and it feels great. I've only blacked out a few times. I could black out left and right if I wanted every day, but that's not the point of free diving. Um, but my but I've experienced it myself. So it's experiential. It's not just something I read in a book, which, which is like breathing and yoga. You need to experience it. And it feels great because you're bubbling in your blood. You have kind of like champagne in your blood and you're feeling high and you have low oxygen, right? You're kind of seeing colors and people have 
near-death experiences and see their past. And there are many accounts and stories on that. It's just to tell people it's not something to be afraid of, but something to respect. Stig, that, that's a big difference. Stig, I know many tough people. I really do. I, I've interviewed mad friends, the whole thing. You are mentally one of the toughest people I've ever met. I just want to remind everybody, if they go online to breatheology.com, you can read a lot more about this. You have a wonderful book to download. And uh, ironically, um, before we started this interview, you were uh, sort of fighting with an iPhone 10 that we think is near death. So your analogy I of think it's near, death. Uh, near yeah. dead. So we'll, we'll hopefully you'll be able to revive that. Stig, <laughs> thanks for being on uh, Life's Tough But Explorers Are Tougher. Thank you for having me. It was a privilege. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep breathing. Every great expedition has to come to an end. But that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right, get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time, www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.